So far, Beck has been limited to conversations between Keith and I about overcoming barriers that exist between blacks and whites and how conversations in school can be a catalyst for building relationships and informing our listeners. For our new episode, Why LGBTQ Has a Hold on Our Hearts, we innovate by hosting Beck's first guests who will share their story about growing up LGBTQ and their experiences in school. Our guest brings special meaning to why LGBTQ has a hold on our hearts because our visitor is my son, Casey. Casey shows maturity and insight as he shares the story of being the LGBTQ son of a high school principal. We hope this episode will take a hold on your hearts as it has ours. Welcome back, everybody. It's Brian and Keith and uh, the Beck podcast for a diverse America. Uh, apologize that we've been going so long, but we've got a lot of interest and uh, a lot of other things taking place. So uh, we, but we found time to get together today and uh, we have a guest today for the first time. We're expanding our podcast a little bit. I'd like to introduce you to Casey Kappas, my son, Casey. Uh, Casey's living in Chicago and Casey, I think maybe I'll get you involved and have you talk a little bit about how things are going in Chicago and, and what you're up to. Um, cool. Hi. Uh, really, this is exciting, fun to be here. Glad that I could come and join you guys for uh, your podcast here. Um, you know, in Chicago, been here, living it up, living the dream. Um, I'm currently working on a master's degree in counseling, focused on clinical mental health counseling. Um, I do my focus and research is focused on the LGBT community. Um, as a proud member of the community, you know, uh, there's a lot of areas and gaps in research um, for that community. And so, you know, that's kind of where I just put my primary focus. I'm currently working at a private practice, working on my practicum, um, working with LGBT adults. Um, it's great work. I really love, I love what I'm doing. I have a history in, of, you know, theater and music and as a background. So I've got, and being an actor, you work a lot of different jobs. So I've had a lot of experience in different areas. And one of those areas is working with a lot of children and working in some of the Chicago public schools and um, some camps, lots of, and also just lots of nannying, lots of kids. We're dealing with a lot of kids. So, um, you know, it's been really cool to utilize that experience in, uh, you know, as I pursue this degree and the work that I intend to do. So you that's, know, yeah, that's ahead, kind of the thing. No, I, I um, first of all, welcome. Welcome. We appreciate uh, you're willing to take the time to, to, uh, to come and be a part. Um, you know, being in the school system as long as, as, uh, as Brian and I were I think I was 35 years and I think Brian you're about the same is that right about 30 some odd years yeah. so it's it's always it's always good for me to uh, to meet someone that can give us some some perspective on things that maybe we didn't encounter during our uh, during our education uh, career but also um, things to enlighten us that uh, that we can move forward and share um, as we continue on um, you know trying to to uh, to meet the needs of of uh, those that we come in contact with, either through our through our podcast or or uh, just just our day to day conversation. So um, I am eager and willing and ready to learn today, and and um, 
hopefully you can give me some nuggets that I can apply and and uh, and take back with me. And and uh, I'm just looking forward to it. And I, again, appreciate your time. Well, I, I too, Casey, appreciate you being here. I, I consider, you know, uh, Keith and I got started with a podcast to make it make a difference in diversity. And so mm-hmm. we've had a lot of conversations that white people and black people need to have more of and, and we're not having enough. Uh, so it, it's given us an opportunity to talk about how, how do we talk to each other and how do we teach students to talk to each other and how do we teach educators to talk to our students so that we can break down some of the, uh, I don't wanna say barriers, but maybe some of the uh, lack of communication between white people and black people. And and maybe the same thing, Casey, I consider our, our uh, experience unique. It's a little bit unique. Uh, you were an LGBTQ youth and adult now. I was the parent of an LGBTQ uh, son. Um, and, and we need to get into that. But uh, not a lot of people have those experiences. And so hopefully our talking about them, uh, the, those listening, maybe have questions of their own, but maybe some, as we talk about our experiences, uh, we can break down some of the barriers in regards to uh, what other LGBTQ students uh, face when they go through school. And that, that might be the first thing, Casey, uh, I'd like to ask about. And, and it's gonna be a twofold question a little bit. And I hope I don't catch you off guard too much, but um, you're, you're studying therapy now and psychology. If there was a class in the teacher preparation program or principal preparation class uh, uh, program, or even just a chapter in a book to train educators about LGBTQ youth, where would you start? What would be the first thing that uh, aspiring educators need to know about working with students uh, coming from LGBTQ? Um, That's a really awesome question. the first thing I would want to address is something that a class that we're required to take in my program is a human growth and development class. And um, the course that I took uh, in my master's was a focus on psychosocial theory, which was Eric Erickson. Um, what I kind of would, a big takeaway from that class for me was the recognition that human development is something that I think we've tried to capture and understand through research that, um, and I think in our history as a country, we have put a lot of focus on heteronormative culture, which I don't know if anyone, if that, does that a term that is familiar at all when I say that? No, not not to me. It probably was once, but I don't remember it. Yeah, heteronormative culture is something that I refer to that um, it's the idea that heterosexuality is the uh, primary, um, is the primary existence or the primary, what am I trying to say? It's, it's, it's where everyone starts or where everyone should be. And anything that veers away from that is unusual or, you know, obscure. So I, a, I might throw in their sexual orientation. Is that the right word that you're thinking of? Yeah, I should, I guess. I think so. Gender orientation? I'm not sure. Gender orientation. It's the idea. It's well, it has to do with both gender and sexuality. It comes down to the idea that heterosexuality and the gender norms surrounding heterosexuality are the norm. And that anything that veers away from that is unusual, or um, you know, we have to, it's 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 obscure. Anyways, so our um 
here, let me say it this way. It's that, you know, a child growing up has to come out as gay. Whereas, you know, we don't really have that experience for straight people. A straight child doesn't have to come out and say and acknowledge that they are straight, you know, and that is an example of heteronormative culture, which is that it's just the expectation that a child is straight. And then it's, you have to address the fact that they are gay. That's an yeah. example. There's a lot more to it than that, but oh, that's, that's that is a great example because I, I don't, I, I can't speak for Keith, but I never thought about it that way. I was a boy. I was always a boy and there wasn't any question. I looked like a boy. I acted like a boy and I had girlfriends. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometime over the course of the life of a, a, a student who's LGBTQ, uh, they have to acknowledge and admit I'm, I'm not exactly a boy. And with that cue in their questioning, I'm not really sure I know what I am. And then all the rest of us need to say, that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't even have to come out. Maybe I, is that fair? Or is that, is that the right thing to say? Um, yeah, I do. I, I agree with it. It's also, it's, I mean, that's a complicated question because there is a certain beauty to the coming out process. It's a, it's a, you know, it's like coming out of a cocoon type of moment. It's a metamorphosis in a way. So it's, I will say that my coming out process was something transformative. I look back at the life I lived and I know that there were a lot of difficult times for me growing up, but a lot of it, I think has shaped a lot of how I view the world today and how I'm able to help people in my field today. So it's, yeah, it's complicated, it's complex, but um, I think that, I, th I th think ideally it would be great if we could have a type of culture where it was just everyone was able to just come out and say whatever it is they're feeling or experiencing address it and not feel some type of judgment I think ideally that's where we want to head where we're headed but in terms of your first question the um put what you know what do we put into you know a textbook or a class or something to uh, acknowledge you know LGBT students, um, I think the biggest thing is just acknowledging that development and where a child um, and a student is at in their identity development, it can be, it's, well, it's anywhere. It's a big old blob of gray. There is, um, there's so much, and it's different. The identity development is so different for an individual who's experiencing, um, you know, feelings of maybe being LGBT or queer or whatever it is, or trans, whatever they're experiencing, it is a, um, it's such a complex and different experience that trying to understand it through the lens of a theory is difficult. And I think that's where the, um, the black and white comes in, the, or excuse me, not the black and white, but that grayness comes in, is that looking at a student as either, you know, black or white, more so in that, excuse me, we're speaking in terms of sexuality, not in yeah. race, so, but I'm using the black and white example as um, just in terms of understanding uh, human nature. I, I kind of want to jump in there a minute because, um, you know, you, you've made a really couple important points that not, not just for working with LGBTQ youth, but in, in uh, at Simpson, Keith and I both took some sort of human growth and development class probably. And yes. it, but but mostly an introduction to psychology, where they kind of lumped everything together. And, you know, from my own experience, I, I went to the class, and I, I probably got a C, maybe, maybe if I worked hard to B minus. But when I stepped into the classroom, I forgot all about uh, uh, Vygotsky. 
and um, the social emotional um, Piaget and sensory motor skills and, and those things that really, really it doesn't matter if a student is LGBTQ or not heterosexual or whatever the term is, uh, it's, it's good learning and good application, but we kind of, some of us get in the classroom and forget all about the psychology. You know, one of the most important ones is um, Maslow and meeting needs and Maslow's uh, pyramid where, you know, this need of uh, basic physical needs, uh, many elementary teachers and, and other levels keep food in their desk because they know some students haven't eaten when they've come to school and they're not gonna be ready to learn until they've eaten. And about, you know, physiological needs come up, uh, safety needs, students who don't feel safe in school, and that's quite often LGBTQ youth, uh, too often, aren't going to be able to learn. But a third one is so important to LGBTQ and all of our kids, uh, belonging, that, that need for belonging. So I, you know, I just want to add to what you're saying, Casey, in terms of psychology, uh, Vygotsky, um, Piaget, but especially Maslow, as teachers, we've really got to be aware of our psychological approach to dealing with all students and, and using what we learn about meeting needs and uh, development to, to help all kids. And maybe maybe we need a little extra training in LGBTQT. Uh, Keith, any thoughts on any of that? Well, you know, just, just listening, and one of the questions that I wanted to ask, uh, Casey, is, is uh, how difficult was it for you um, when you started to realize that you might be a little bit um, off the beaten path, let's say, and, and um, you know, and, and when did you decide, okay, now's the time for me to start sharing how I really feel um, about what's going on with me? Um, how did you approach that whole dynamic? Um, that's such a, again, sorry, that's just such an interesting question as well, because I was thinking about this recently about my own story. And it's mm -hmm. funny how I, the, the, the sort of like the ways it sort of developed, which was like, I remember having a crush on a guy the first time when I was in seventh grade. I remember seventh grade, but not realizing that it was a crush. It was the, it was for some reason, something about him intrigued me in a way, but I was in some type of denial about it, which I think was a result probably of growing up in, um, I was always taught like in school or like by my, I remember by my classmates or by other people that being gay was, um, I guess like a distasteful thing. You know, there was a term, people use the phrase all the time, like that's so gay to represent something that was stupid or bad. And there's a whole controversy, a whole campaign on it. Hillary Duff did a whole campaign. If you've ever interested, look into that, it's super cute. But um, uh, it's, so, you know, it was a distasteful thing. And then also I was kind of involved in church activities growing up as well um that uh our local church we had a it was called christian what was it called the fellowship of christian athletes mm -hmm. is what it was as, as we've already discussed i wasn't much of an athlete but <laughs> um i was still i still was uh participated in that um in that group which was just 
a lot of people from my high school getting together at our local church, which is actually the church we were members of growing up. Um, but there was a lot of um, pressure in those groups to not be gay. It was, um, or to not be feminine, because that was something I always got made fun of for growing up, as I've always been a more feminine person. So um, I've always been interested in theater and all of that. So I, and it's funny how, you know, when we talk about me coming out, a lot of feedback I got growing up was that everyone was like, we already knew, we already knew, we were just waiting for you to figure it out. But in that process, it was, um, and that was coming from people who were more supportive. Whereas the people I remember in these groups, like the Christian fellowship or the fellowship of Christian athletes, there were people in that group that would speak to me and tell me how wrong being gay was. And I was someone who struggled with relationships growing up, friendships. So at that time, those were people who I really felt connected to. So in order to maintain those relationships, I really kind of hit a big part of who I was. And I denied anything about my own sexual orientation. And um, so, and that was in high school. And it wasn't until probably my junior year of high school that I went on a trip to Europe with um, my with my choir, but it was an honor choir that I got to join. And in this group were kids that I had never met before, never, um, and honestly probably would never see again because we were traveling to Europe. But on this trip, those new individual people I met, I shared with them that um, that I was gay. And that was the first time I'd ever actually shared it with people. And then my intention after that was, and it was great, they were fine. Everyone was, everyone was fine with it. Um, so then I kind of made the the goal that I would make it through my senior year of high school, still closeted. But that was the first time me really acknowledging, saying to myself that I realized that this, I am gay and I accept it. And I think that's a big part of it too, is just the acceptance aspect of it, is you may realize it at a really young age, which I think I did probably around seventh grade, but it wasn't until much later in high school that I was able to accept it. And then after that level of acceptance, it then happened in my senior year. Um, it was unfortunate. I told one person in school of my senior year and that spread around and eventually it got just told to everyone. And I eventually just came out my senior year of high school, which ended up not being as bad as I thought it would be. Um, I think my senior year, I thrived a little bit more because I was able to embrace that identity still very fresh, still very new. That's a really interesting thing about stepping into um, that identity is that you're really coming into your own for the first time where a lot of my peers started this development of sexual identity, maybe when they were like 13 or younger than that, you know, I was doing it at about 17 years old. So, and I know that's a case for a lot of like some clients that I know of that, um, of some partners or not partners um of uh co-workers that i have who speak about relationships that they have with people who have been out of the closet the same time i have of the same time that their partner has and the way the the identity has developed in that time versus before they accepted that anyways that's my that's sorry that was a long spiel about my story well, 
So, so Casey, was it was it uh, a sigh of relief for you? And then, and the second part of what I was going to ask is, is did that give the thrust or momentum to other people, maybe that you had been uh, either had not known about, or people that that uh, you had had maybe had some some suspicion, I guess, about for lack of a better word, give them the, the, the level of comfort to say, well, Casey said it, I can say it. And, and, and this person can say it. And now we're a community. I mean, was, was it, was it embraced that way or, or um, how did it go at that point? Um, I, that's, I might know, be able to speak to that a little. Yeah, please. Cause I'm, um, as far as like becoming a community and maybe bonding or, or <laughs> making relationships, uh, there's so few at Urbandale High School that it didn't happen exactly that way. Uh, when we were growing, when Casey was growing up, we would sometimes, you know, seek out students who uh, behaved like Casey or acted like Casey. And, and of course, we suspected from when he was very young. And, you know, they didn't see themselves that way. And if they didn't have common interest, you know, they just, they didn't, they didn't become friends. You know, and, and from a parent's point of view, you know, Casey mentioned relationship challenged. It was very hard because uh, he didn't have best friends and a lot of good friends to do things with. And, and, uh, and I don't mean hard. It was hard for us because we were always hoping for that. Casey's a very uh, outgoing uh, person and he wanted friends more than anything but they were very difficult to come by through those years for whatever perceptions the other kids were developing of him, you know, that we were excited whenever those relationships happened. And if he happened to get invited to parties and, and, uh, or an overnight or anything at all, uh, we felt all that time was hard for Casey and, and it was hard for us too. The other, the other thing I'd throw in there, Keith, and I don't know if it answers the question at all or not, but uh, um, we, it was kind of a relief when Casey came out to us because we'd kind of known and we kind of thought that would happen for him. And I, I think what it did do was take the pressure off all the boys and some of the girls that uh, we don't have to act like Casey's not gay anymore. Uh, we can treat him like he might be and, and maybe celebrate getting to know somebody um, that's had these different experiences and learning from them. So, so Casey uh, and Brian, you as well, would it be, and again, this might just be a crazy question, but again, it's part of my learning. Um, was it because of the Urbandale uh, community? Um, you know, I, I'm, I, again, I'm here in Indiana. I know a little bit about Urbandale and, but would it be, would it have been a little bit, more um, easier if it would have been, let's say, in a community like Indianola as opposed to Urbandale um, to, to, uh, to maybe come out and, and feel a level of comfort that you, didn't, you wouldn't feel like you'd be subjected to any type of uh, you know, harassment, feedback, whatever the, whatever the word is. Again, I'm trying to, to find. Um, does the community have anything to do with that at all or is it just your level of comfort? Um, I definitely would say that it has a lot to do with the community. I'm very grateful that I got the opportunity to come out in a place like Urbandale compared to, say, 
well, I mean, Indianola is a good example just because you brought it up. I also attended Simpson. And so um, I spent a lot of time in Indianola and I, I um, don't know about the culture, like in the community outside of Simpson, but I got a pretty good sense of what Indianola culture probably would have been like. And I don't think it would have been super friendly to what I would have, um, to what I experienced. And, but like, to kind of come back to your other question though, about like inspiring other people, I don't know if I was able to inspire other people so much as it was when I came out, a lot of other people became much more comfortable with being able to connect with me. You know, I think it was, there was a lot of that experience of, we know this about Casey, but don't quite understand it yet. As soon as I recognize that in myself, people were more able to, I made a lot more friends my senior year of high school, like doing show choir and stuff. I connected a lot with mostly girls, but it was, um, but it was accepted. And even some of the boys, there were a lot of boys that were a lot more or friendlier or just more um, open to me. And it, I, I, you know, it allowed a greater experience of, you know, interaction between me and other people. And so, and I don't know if I would have gotten that same experience elsewhere in other um, in other communities. Urbandale, I think, was just big enough to be able to, uh, you know, to provide that for me. Well, I'd, I'd jump in there, too, a little bit about Urbandale. And that is, Urbandale, as much as any place I ever saw, was a 50-50 performing arts and athletic community. Uh, we had kids that would be in basketball and football, but also in the show choir. And the performing arts parents, you know, they, they were determined to provide as good of opportunity for their students uh, as athletics got. And I, that's something I've always been proud about, about Urbandale is how, the balance of uh, how it was okay. Sometimes uh, the I remember in Casey made varsity show choir, um, he, it was a big deal to get those warm-ups and acknowledge that you'd been varsity and and they the, making that as a, as a boy as a sophomore that that was a big deal i throw in one other thing about that and that's it casey was little when we were in nevada his best friend was a girl and, and i don't know casey i felt like that was pretty well accepted i mean they were pretty tight they, they went to the same church as us and uh katie would after we moved away she would come and stay at our place and i don't know casey you've ever stayed up there but It'd be really interesting to see how that would have all worked out back in Nevada. I felt <laughs> like the parents of the boys were really good about including Casey and that uh, he might've been a little uh, safer with uh, that group of kids. It's just, it's just really hard to say what might've happened had we stayed in Nevada, but Irvindale had baseball for Kirby and lots of sports and they had the performing arts. It was a better a better opportunity for Casey and performing arts. So that's really a good question of versus Nevada versus Urbandale. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of got to go with what Casey says too, is that Urbandale community was, was pretty, once he did come out, it, it seemed a little welcoming, welcoming is how I'd put it. So Casey, you know, as, as, as we are educators and, and uh, even though we, we are both retired we're, um, from school systems per se, um, we're, we're still, we're lifelong learners and that's, that's just who I am. What would you say uh, would be the, the, the best way or, or the most successful way 
for those of us that are in education to uh, to embrace uh, the culture of LGBTQ now um, to uh, to learn and and um, you know just accept it as a part of the way society is now. Um, how would you, or what would you say that we as educators, what can we do to get ourselves acclimated to uh, to what is going on in in, uh, in today's society? Um, I think, okay, hear me out on this because this might sound a little crazy, not crazy, but in a different, I think a big thing about just embracing diversity in general is, um, Stop trying so hard to understand it, to make sense of it for yourself. Instead of trying to figure out <clears throat> um, how does this person who is so different to me, how does this person fit into my perception of the world? I think the better question is more so how does this person just, or how I guess it's more so just accepting that this person does exist in the world. It's not, it doesn't, I don't, I think we're focused, we put too much focus and structure and ideas on how does this person's existence affect me versus um, how is it that uh, this person, how can I help this person just exist or just see this person as another human being who is having a completely different human experience than I am. And um, and I think that's just the way that we're kind of taught. And that's, I mean, that's just empathy right there is basic empathy, which is acknowledging that a person across the room from you has a completely different emotional experience and, um, and a different, and it's all, it's influenced by culture, by psychology, by biology. And so, I think the biggest, and so it's because, you know, when it comes to diversity, especially in our, especially today, you know, there's a lot of pressure from a lot of places to try to, you know, to do better and to make better sense of people. And it gets overwhelming, I think. And I think just a great starting point is just to be able to acknowledge that and to like a starting point for this journey, which it is, it's a forever journey, like understanding the idea of multiculturalism. It is a journey that you go on forever, but the starting point is just to be able to say that I recognize that this person is different from me and has different experiences and I cannot always relate. You know, I don't know, Keith, if you had a follow-up question to that, I, I kind of do. And that is, Keith, does that sound familiar in terms of black and white um, understanding and getting to know each other and building relationships? No doubt. I mean, and things that we've already discussed, um, you know, for, for my journey as an administrator, going into a, a predominantly all black school, uh, that school closing and, and merging into predominantly three predominantly uh, all white schools and and that dynamic. So that's why I was really curious because I haven't been faced with with uh, with that type of merger um, uh, in regards to LGBTQ. Um, so that's why I was really curious to see if there was any parallels, similarities, um, and and what I can do as a mentor for principals and teachers that uh, not only have the the color barrier, but also have 
the the uh, the other barriers are that uh, that they're faced with today. So I I really appreciate what you shared. Well, I do I do too, and and I would say you know it just Casey sounds exactly right. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in working with kids and administrators and teachers and society that it, it's got to be scaffold a little bit more. I mean, he, he, he expressed it in a big picture type way, but that doesn't mean we know how to do it when we get into a room uh, or beside a bus or on a bus or wherever we're at on a team and there's LGBTQ person beside me and I know it and they know it and uh, just don't know what to say and to break down those barriers that it kind of has to happen. You need those experiences, you know, sure. Keith, I would have, I would have loved to have talked to you and Q and Ronnie and Anthony was Q's roommate. Then they were in our hall. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. That wasn't going to be wrong. I learned, you know, Wayne Cole was on the wrestling team with us and uh, he, he just a regular guy. I mean, just another person, but without that experience, you somehow don't know how to do it with, without knowing how to practice it or something. I don't know if that's right. said very well, but I think we got to find kids and people a way to get together and practice this a little bit. And before long, the barriers come down. And like Casey said earlier, we're just people. We're just all people. Right. Well, I think for me, um, I always try to educate myself on things before I speak on things. And if I don't understand or at least have a remedial understanding of, 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 of the LGBTQ community and some of the, the, the things that they face and some of the, the, the uh, societal issues, because, you know, let's just face it. I mean, for me, there's a level of, of, uh, of ignorance, let's say, um, that, that we just don't know. And Casey said something earlier, instead of trying to understand it, just, you know, kind of ease ourselves into it and then and just gradually learn and, and that type of thing. And, and hopefully your understanding will come. I, at least it, it will for me now that I see it. Um, and and uh, now that, that, um, that it's a part of our society, um, you know, it was the same thing for me when I, when I went into Simpson. And the only thing that was different is, is that people immediately saw that I was black. They didn't have to guess. They didn't have to wonder. They, <laughs> they didn't have, it was like, hey, anybody ever told you you were black? Um, so, you know, it's like, I kind of suspected you were black, but I didn't, but you were black. Um, so, so I understand where, where you're coming from. And, and, um, and I tell you what, you know, I, I, um, I just enjoy listening to people that are not ashamed of who they are. And, you know, and for, for those of us that are, that are old geezers in this thing, um, I, I just, uh, I just embrace that. And, and, uh, and I'm proud of you. You know, I think that that is a, that is a tremendous uh, thing that, uh, that, that uh, in regards to your, your field that you're going into and you're trying to help and assist and, and, um, you know, and if there's obviously if there's anything that that I can do or that we can do to help you in your education of 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 us, do, and, do you have one hundred fifty thousand dollars, Keith? That would help. That would be very helpful. 
I'm playing FanDuel today. I got I got twenty dollars on the Bears. So <laughs> yeah, right. there you go. Well, maybe you'll double that, and that'll help out yeah. a little bit. Hey, so I, got I, fun. I have two questions. We got about five minutes left. I have two yeah. questions I want to ask yet. Um, I want to say quick though, just um, Keith, what you just said though about you know about being black versus like being LGBT, you know, it's, um, but something that I have really kind of recognized and learned about is, and something I really want to put more focus on in my work is the intersectionality of those identities. Something that is, that I experience that other people don't is the fact that in my, so within my own community, well, just the gay, within gay culture, LGBT culture, I am a white man who is gay who, you know, I, if you look at pride parades and all of the, you know, like the face of the LGBTQ community, it's typically people like me. Whereas in my field right now, the people and in this community, like at the moment, like the people who are at most risk for um, are uh, black trans women and people who are of these communities, like especially within the Chicago community about being black and gay or black and trans or, any or essentially any other race besides white, it is an entirely different experience, one that I can't relate to. You know, it is, and that goes back to, again, that like recognizing like that person across the room from you is so different from you and has a completely different experience. And that just because someone is gay doesn't mean I can relate to them and say, or can relate to them, excuse me. So I just want to acknowledge, like, I think a lot of people think of those identities as something as separate, but really there's such, in, in any identity, in any, which is why it comes back to that whole thing of human beings are just human beings with different stories. Acknowledge that we are the same, but then also acknowledging that we are so different. Mm -hmm. I guess I just wanted to, I just wanted to like acknowledge that, acknowledge that like, there is a lot of similarities, but there are so many differences in, you know, what we're discussing. Sure. Well, that's going to take care of our time for today. So uh, I think, Keith, we need to get Casey back in a week, well, not a week, but maybe a couple months and have another discussion because a lot of, a lot of profound, I, I didn't get all my questions answered for one thing, but a lot of profound, helpful discussion coming from Casey to talk straightforward about, uh, you know, his experience and growing up and all the things he's learned. And then also his, his, uh, the academic, the, uh, uh, the, his education that he's bringing to this, this field in an attempt to help others. Uh, it's really useful for people to hear and for us to be able to ask pretty, pretty frank questions. Well, okay. In case you're a bridge builder and that, you know, that is, that's huge. And, um, Again, for, for those of us that just don't understand or haven't uh, been exposed to it enough, um, I certainly appreciate your willingness to come on today and, and, and share your insights and, and um, you know, some of the things that you share with me, I will share with others and I'll take all the credit and not give you any. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, awesome. just tell them to listen to the podcast. Tell them to listen to the podcast and send money. No doubt, no doubt. But but thank you so much, Casey. You're 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 refreshing. You're bright and and um, just uh, just a, a, a welcome for us. And and uh, just keep keep doing what you're doing, man. Proud of it. 
Well, thank you very, very much. It's been a pleasure getting to be here. I'm really glad. I really love this podcast and what you guys are doing. So I'm really happy I got to be a part of it. And I look forward to getting to it to getting to do it again with you guys. Oh yeah. Come back. Come back. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to check out our other episodes. Keith and I have put some time and had some honest, straightforward conversations. So be sure to check those out and uh, tell your friends about the Beck podcast for a diverse America. We had a great time creating this episode and we hope it was helpful and interesting for you, our listeners. If you have comments or feedback, email Brian at bcoppice at western.edu. As always, thanks for listening.